Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Brian. It's so good to be here with you today. I want to especially say good morning to our online service that's watching this morning. Hey, so, so today we're in week four of our series. It's a five-week series. We've been going through the, the chapter, the anxiety chapter in the Bible, Philippians chapter four. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. In week one, we talked about uh, really the, the theme verse for, for this, it's where we got this series title from, Anxious for Nothing, because Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which, by the way, is the most highlighted passage in Kindle on the Bible. You know, if you, if you read your Bible on Kindle, the most highlighted passage of all the passages in the Bible is Philippians 4, 6, which is crazy to me. It's not John 3, 16. It's not uh, the, love, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it's Philippians 4, 6, because it says, be anxious for nothing, which is the series title, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and then the peace of God, with which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds until the day of Christ Jesus. And so that's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We talked about that in week one. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to it. All of these messages, there's a podcast for it as well. It's really, really, really helpful if you're struggling with anxiety. We know a lot of people struggle with anxiety, men, women, young people, old people. And so that's why we wanted to see what God's word had to say about it. And so week one, we talked about that. And week two, we talked about control freak anxiety. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to a control freak. Good. If you're sitting next to one, that's all right. You can have a conversation about that later on. Like, why did you raise your hand? So we, that was week two. Week three, we talked about when your mind kind of goes crazy, when, you're, when you ruminate, which is something that I can totally relate to, right? That I would lay there in bed and I would be thinking about something. You have this track kind of like maybe on, on your phones when you're listening to music, you put a song on repeat, you really like the song. Well, with anxiety, it's not that you really like the thought, but you just can't stop thinking about it. And so that was last week. And today, we, we, set, we saved this one for... Thanksgiving week, because there's one other thing that's, that really we have to talk about when we're talking about anxiety, and that is people. And we're going to talk today about when people make you anxious. How many of you have people in your life that make you anxious? Raise your hand. Good. I'm going to wait. God's watching. You better be honest about this. We all should be raising our hand. I remember when our kids were little, we would, our, our, we're from Chicagoland originally, so we would drive, we would make the drive back every year. We would make the drive back to Naperville, Illinois to see our family and friends, and we, had, we both have family there, and I've got, you know, four other siblings, and so we had all, these, all this family that we had to visit. You have all these expectations when you're around family, and I know some of you are anxious right now thinking about it because you've got someone coming into town tomorrow or on Wednesday, and you're just anxious thinking about it. That's why we're preaching on it now and not next week. We didn't want to tell you what you did wrong. We want to tell you what, how you should think about this week, how you, how you should think about what's coming up this week. And this isn't just for Thanksgiving week. It's really for all the time. But God's word has something to say about it. But we would go home. And my in-laws are here, so I'm going to be really careful about what I say right now, but we love our in-laws. My in-laws are way better than my parents. Um, but we would go home, and I just remember we were so stressed out by the end of the week, and it was, it was really not anyone's fault in particular, 
certainly not my in-laws, but we were so stressed out by the end of the week that when we would get in the car and start driving home, by the time we hit Iowa, we were in full conflict mode in the car. So we hate the state of Iowa. Because we, by the time we were driving through Iowa, we're, we're finally like talking about all the stuff that we've been holding in and all the, could you believe they said that? Or why did you say that? Or I can't believe we did this. And there was always conflict around relationships. And that's a normal thing. And today we're gonna see that believe it or not, Philippians chapter four, remember everything we're talking about in this series starts from Philippians chapter four, the anxiety chapter in the Bible. And you might say, where is there relational anxiety in Philippians chapter four? It's probably the most obscure verse in the whole chapter. And here's what it says, Philippians four, verses two and three. Paul says this, and now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, some translations give this a name. He's actually talking to somebody. He says, I ask you, and, he, and it's a name for this person. So now he's actually talking to this, some guy that's reading his letter. He says, I ask you to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling other, others the good news. It's really interesting to me. We don't see these words anywhere else in the Bible, Euodia and Syntyche. This is it. Could you imagine, could you imagine having a disagreement that was such a big deal that it's in scripture for the rest of the whole world to read 2,000 years later. Could you imagine that? I mean, just think about this week and the disagreements you're gonna have this week with somebody. Could you imagine if that was just plastered over for everybody to hear, like what I'm gonna be sharing today? I invited Tracy to come up here and do this one with me, but she said no, so everything's fair game now. If I throw her under the bus, it's her own fault. It's crazy to me that there was a disagreement between two women in the church that was worth God putting into Scripture for us to read. In fact, I think you could make the argument that everything in Philippians 4, everything we've been studying about anxiety and being anxious for nothing, that really, if you think about the most immediate context, go read it for yourself, the most immediate context is this situation right here. There's a chance that everything we've been studying about, about control freak anxiety and being anxious for nothing and letting God be on the throne of your life and, and when your mind runs wild with anxiety and think about good things, all the stuff we've been talking about these last few weeks, there's a decent chance that the most immediate context for that was relationships, relational anxiety. Because that's what was on Paul's mind right before he wrote all of that. He's talking about these two women who have a disagreement, and he doesn't say who's right. He doesn't say who's wrong. To me, that means it's because there are other places in Scripture where Paul says that's wrong and that's wrong, and you shouldn't have done that. And this, he doesn't say any of that. So this is just a pedestrian disagreement. This is one of those disagreements where nobody's right and nobody's wrong, but they just need to settle their disagreement. And I know that we've got people in here. And you've, maybe you have relational things in your marriage or, or siblings or, or maybe with in-laws or with your own parents or, 
Whatever it is, I know that there are situations in this room represented in this room because Tracy and I, we've done ministry for over 20 years and, and we get to be a part of a lot of that, like helping coach people through how do you handle this. And it's not just coaching people through it, it's, it's, it exists in our own relationships and in our own lives as well, in our own families as well. And so we're going to take a look today at how to handle disagreements, how to handle relational conflict when it brings up anxiety in your life. And so I want you to get, I want everyone to just take a second. I want to make sure that everyone has that thing in their head. Some of you already clearly have it, and you just, you're like, get on with it. I want to know how to fix this, right? But I want to just make sure that everyone's just got something in their head before we move on. So let's just look at these five things real quick. I've just got words that help explain these things, right? So, so maybe you have a situation in your life where you feel like you're walking on eggshells. There's someone in your family, there's someone in your life where you can't bring up the situation because you're going to hurt their feelings or they're going to freak out. And so you're walking on eggshells around that person and you've done this for years. That's unhealthy. And we're going to talk about how to handle that. Or maybe, maybe it's the elephant in the room situation. Like there's a topic when everybody comes into town, there's a topic that you can't bring up. Like you just, you're not going to bring up the Bears, they're going to have a losing season again, right? That's, no, it's not something that simple. It's usually something more hurtful, right? And so you've got this elephant in this room, this, this situation that you're uncomfortable talking about. Everybody's sort of uncomfortable talking about, and, and so you just sort of skirt around that issue. But everybody knows it's there. Or how about, and these first two kind of tend to lead to the, the old time bomb. This is, this is what my family's famous for. My, my family, not... Not my wife and I and our kids, but my family of origin, my parents, my siblings, like we're all so great at like walking on eggshells around each other and then not addressing the elephant in the room. Like we're really good at this. And so what happens for some of us in our family is it's just a ticking time bomb because what's happening is we're not actually dealing with anything. We're, we're sweeping it all under the rug. And some of you, maybe this is how your family was or is. Some of you are, are married and, and bo both husband and wife have families where this is the family dynamic. And that's kind of the sad thing. That's why it's so important that we talk about this today and not just here, but that you talk about this in your small groups or with your families or when you beat the Baptist to Chili's today after church. Like, let's make sure to talk about this, like have a follow-on conversation about this because this could really change the way that you relate. But what I love about when I met Tracy, as I realized that Tracy, and I, I'm, I'm being serious here to my in-laws, like Tracy's family did relationships so much better than my family did. And so when Tracy and I got married and, and I got to see how she wanted to do relationships, it was hard and uncomfortable for me because we like to sweep things under the rug. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Like this is what we did. Like, so if you're, if you're conflict averse, you... you if you grew up seeing this, this is what's natural to you, and so you just want to sweep things under the rug, but Tracy's this person that's just incredible. She just has this ability to speak truth to you and, and for it not to be terribly offensive and where you can receive it. I mean, we would go, we would go home, and, and she, would, she would open up the fridge at my mother-in-law's house and, or the freezer, and there'd be a turkey in there from 2006, and it was 2015. 
But like she, like in my family, we would just be like, whatever, nobody's going to say anything about anything. Like, that's none of my business, right? But she would be like, she would say something about it. And there was just something about the way that they did relationships where they could speak truth to each other. Where, where they, could, they could call each other out lovingly, they could call each other out, and, and nobody would get offended. They would hear it. Her mom, her dad would hear it. They would listen to it. And so what was happening is there was this, there was this relationship, there was this, like, this value in relationships where they're, where they're not afraid to walk on eggshells, and there's, there's really no elephants in the room. And so as a result, there were no ticking time bombs where every six months somebody's going to finally blow up because you can't hold it in anymore. This is how we did it in our family. See, we thought we were relationally healthy because we were just sweeping everything under the rug, but see, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way, and so it ends up blowing up in your face. Or how about the old triangulation? Okay, triangulation is when A has a problem with B, and they bring C into it. Right? So I have a problem with you, but I'm not going to talk to you about it. I'm going to talk to this person about it. And so now you're triangulating, and you're trying to get this person on your side, and maybe the other person's trying to get that person on your side too. A lot of couples do this with their kids. They triangulate. Mom and dad are having an issue. They're struggling, and so, so mom and dad are trying to get kids on their side. That's triangulation. That's a no-go. That's not good. That's not healthy. Or this last one, and there's more. The last one is finger pointing. Finger pointing, finger pointing is when, when, you, when you do try to bring something up, and they're pointing fingers at you, and you're pointing fingers back at them. And my dad always had the best advice for this. He said, look, if, if someone points a finger at you, just notice that three more are pointing right back at yourself. That's pretty good, huh? That's good insight. So he added to that, if you know my dad, it's always going to be a joke. So he said, that's why I always point like this. <laughs> so if you're going to finger point, at least do it like that, okay? So whatever, wherever, wherever, whatever you can relate to here, I hope, I hope now I've got you triggered sufficiently that you're like, I'm ready to talk about what to do about it because I've got all these problems in my family. And you, maybe you're thinking about all these problems coming up. For Thanksgiving week. So we're going to talk about settling your disagreements. And I want to give you four, quickly, because we have a plane to catch. I want to give you four, four things that we see in Scripture about dealing with this in a biblical way. So that it doesn't just continue to build anxiety for you. Number one, commit to being a peacemaker. Now, I, this is kind of a weird one to start with, but I think it's just, I think we need to start with this one is, you need to commit to being a peacemaker. I want you to, right now, whatever that situation is that you've got in your mind, I know what you want to do. If you're anything like me, is you want to sweep it under the rug. You want to just forget about it. It'll go away. And I want to just speak to that person right now. Commit to being a peacemaker. The reason for that is because peacemaking is a core value for Christians. One of our core values as a church, if you go out in the lobby, you'll see these on the walls. One of our core values is we work hard at healthy relationships. We actually worked hard on that core value. We said, how, how do we want to say this? And we were intentional about saying it like that, that we work hard at healthy relationships because healthy relationships require hard work. 
And that means you need to commit to being a peacemaker. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to commit to being a peacemaker. Here's a verse you should write down. I love this. It's kind of a core value verse for Christians. Paul, Romans 12, we're going to talk a lot about Romans 12 today. In Romans 12, Paul says this, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I want, for those of you who've got some conflict coming down the pike this week, I want you to memorize this verse. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. You can't control what the other person does, but you can do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Have you done all that you can? Most of us would say, no, I haven't really done all that I can. I've done a lot, though. I've done a lot more than them. I've done a lot more than them, but I haven't done all that I can. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Philippians 2, earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul writes this. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Again, my guess is he's thinking about Yodia and Sintiki when he's writing these words. Because just a couple chapters later, he's going to call them out. And he's going to say, please settle your disagreements. But see, there's this value as, as Christians, there's this value that we need to live up to. If, you're, if you were not a Christian, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you need to do this. But you're a, if you're a Christian in here, I want you to hear this. You need to be a peacemaker. You need to do all that you can to be a peacemaker. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be peace because it's not all up to you. But you need to do all that you can to make peace. And one more. Philippians 4, 2 through 3. Let's look at that verse one more time. He says, I appeal to you, Yodi and Sintika, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. See, that's what Paul's saying. The reason you should, the only reason you need to know to settle your disagreement is because you're a Christian. You belong to the Lord. And this is a core value for followers of Jesus. So I want, I want you to work hard at healthy relationships. I want you to settle your disagreement because you both belong to the Lord. This is what drives me crazy about Christians. Sometimes Christians are the worst at this. Sometimes churches are the worst at this. Guys, we should be the best at this. Followers of Jesus should be the best at settling disagreements. We should, we should be the best at having healthy, reconciled relationships. We should be the best at it because we should, we should all be kind of on the same page, shouldn't we? So we should be willing to extend grace to one another. We should be willing to work hard for healthy relationships. We should do everything we can to be at peace with one another. So here's, some of you are like, okay, so what can I do? Well, that's my next thing. Put yourself in their shoes. I know what happens. If you're anything like me, what happens when you get in an argument is you are immediately, as soon as Tracy and I get into a discussion, we don't call them arguments, we don't argue, but we do have discussions. And when we, sometimes we have one of those discussions, we just had, this last week we had one of those, and it's so hard for me it's so hard for me not to think about her first. Sorry, it's so hard for me to think about her. I gave myself a little too much credit there, didn't I? It's so hard for me to think about her first. 
Because when she's saying something, I'm formulating my rebuttal. Can I get an amen? Anybody else do this? Is it just me? Is it like they're saying something and you're ready to come right back with your own arrows. And here's, here's what you can do to be at peace with everyone. And this is so hard. It's so difficult for me. And I'm sure it will be for you. Is put yourself in their shoes first. Like really honestly try to think about the situation from their point of view. See what happens is you... By nature, we think about any conflict, we think about it from our point of view. We, we call that getting in your box. You get in your box, your little self-justification box, everything that they say you're thinking about, you're thinking about from your perspective. So you're already saying that they're wrong, and so now when they say this next thing, you say, well, they're gaslighting now. And so every, every interaction you have, if you're only thinking about it from your own perspective, if you're on, in your own little box, is you're, there's no way there's going to be re reconciliation because guess what? They're in their box too. So here you have these two people that are just in their camps and they can't think about the situation from someone else's point of view. But you know what changes all that? Is just a simple phrase. If you just say, what I hear you saying is, and then try to repeat what they're saying. Some of you should write that down right now. That was a, that's tweetable right there. So what I hear you saying is dot, dot, dot. Not, well, hold on, here's what I, well, but wait a second. No, what, what you need to say is, okay, so let me see if I understand. What I hear you saying is this. Like you're really genuinely putting yourself in their shoes and trying to understand what's going on from their point of view. And if you're wrong, by the way, if what, what you're hearing is not right, then they should tell you, no, let's try that again. Here's what I'm saying. And so this, I know this sounds really cheesy, but this is something that Tracy and I have done for 20 plus years of marriage. It's been great. To really try to listen to the other person and put yourself in their shoes. And here's the great thing is if they're, if they're committed to making peace, then hopefully they'll do the same thing. See, the reason you don't want to do that is because then nobody's going to represent your point of view. Well, not if you both make a commitment to representing the other, point, the other person's point of view. Hey, how about if I listen to what you're saying and then maybe if you can make the deal to listen to what I'm saying, then maybe we'll actually hear each other and maybe we can settle our disagreement. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 2.4, don't just look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And I love this, this prayer. I, I really encourage you to pray before you have conflict resolution time. And this prayer is a great one from Psalm 139. Search me, O God. It doesn't say search them. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Look at the prayer. He's exposing himself to God. He's saying, God, I want to know what my problem is because when you put yourself in their shoes, you're thinking about your problem, not their problem. So see, this prayer is a prayer that puts yourself in their shoes. God, point out anything in me that offends you because that's probably what's offended them and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And so put yourself in their shoes. And then number three, this is important. Talk to them, not about them. Oh boy, we don't have time to talk about that. I wish we could do a whole sermon on this. But I'm telling you, if people, would, if people would use this value in their relationships, the world would be just a happier place. Talk to people, 
not about people. It's so, so much easier to talk about people than to talk to them. Because when you talk about them, whoever you're talking about them with probably agrees with you. Or you wouldn't be talking to them about it. But that's not the biblical way to handle it. In fact, there's a protocol that Jesus himself gives us in Matthew 18. It's, we call it the Matthew 18 protocol. Oops, sorry. Matthew 18, 15. If another believer sins against you, look at what Jesus says to do. Go privately and point out their, the offense. And if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. You see the first step that Jesus talks about when there's a disagreement or conflict? He says, go to the person. Talk to the person. Now, why is it that that is so hard for us to do? I, now, I understand some, some of the reason is because some of you are like, well, they're not going to listen to me. That's why. And I get that. I have people in my life like that as well. Also, I am like that, if we're honest. That's really all of us a little bit, right? Nobody likes it when somebody comes to you and says, hey, look, here's, I got a problem with you. <laughs> oh, it's great. So my turkey's old, like big deal. <laughs> it's in the freezer. Nobody likes, nobody likes that, right? But see, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be committed to, as, as far as it is up to us, that we're gonna be healthy. My... I don't have an excuse before God if I say to God, well, they wouldn't have listened to me. God, God's gonna say, but I didn't, I didn't, that's not what I was talking about. I just said, you need to do the right thing. You need to do the right thing. Don't let their potential response keep you from doing the right thing. Talk to them, not about them. If someone's offended you, if there's conflict, and, and, and there's, I don't wanna make light of this, I know there's real hurts for people in this room when we're, coming to, when we're talking about relational conflict. I understand that there's real hurts. Like this isn't, this isn't insignificant stuff that we're dealing with in our families. I very much understand that. But it's still our job to do the right thing in the right order. So when Jesus says, when someone sins against you, you need to go to them privately and you need to give them a chance to hear you out. Guys, if you've never done that, then you're sinning. You're in the wrong. And you need to make that right. Talk to someone not about them. Romans 12, let's go back to that. Paul says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold on tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is honoring them to talk to them, not about them. It's dishonoring them when you talk about them to somebody else. That's called, the Bible has a word for that. It's called gossip. And that's dishonoring. It doesn't honor them. So talk to them even though it's hard. Now I know, some of you are saying, it's not gonna work. You don't understand so-and-so. It's not gonna work. Well, that's why we have one more step. Because when all else fails, this might be the most important thing you hear today. When all else fails, when you're trying to do the right thing, when you're trying to reconcile, when you're doing everything that you can do, everything that you know how to do to be at peace, right? You're committed to peace, You've put yourself in their shoes. You've tried to talk to them, not about them, and it's still, they still don't get it. You still have conflict. There's still relational anxiety. What do you do then? And that's the fourth thing. Then you just have to be ready to absorb the offense. Paul says it like this in one place. Why not be wronged? That's a good question. 
Why not be wronged? See, a lot of relational anxiety and relational conflict comes from the fact that somebody has sinned against you and has wronged you. And that might very well be true. But Paul says to that, why not be wronged? The context for that, by the way, is there was a church in the church. There are people, Christians are suing each other. And he's like, why are you doing this? Why are you suing each Can't you guys work this out? Why are you suing each other? And in the context of all that, he, he finally comes out and says, why not be wronged? That's what we're talking about here. Why not be wronged? Why not, why not just absorb the offense? They've done something that's terrible. Okay, absorb it. You've tried to do all the things you can do to be at peace. I know how this works. A lot of times, especially in families, is this person's staying in their box and this person's staying in their box and so you're just gonna be like this forever? You're not gonna have a relationship anymore? Because... So-and-so won't apologize to you? I'm even, I'm even saying you're right and they're wrong, and I'm still gonna tell you this, why not be wronged for the sake of peace? Sometimes that's the only option left, is to say I'm gonna forgive them even though they're not asking for it. I'm gonna release it. I'm not gonna have bitterness in my heart toward them anymore even though I really feel like I should and I have the right to have bitterness. I'm gonna absorb the offense. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 2. You need to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. He died a criminal's death on a cross. He just absorbed the offense. Your offense and my offense. He absorbed our offense. Like this is how... You want to know how God reconciled with us? He absorbed the offense. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. God didn't cancel his wrath. It was spent. It was spent on Jesus. He, was, he took our place on the cross. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God so that he could forgive us, so that we could be reconciled to God. If that didn't happen, we would not have relationship with God. And this is what it means to be a Christian at the end of the day if we want to have healthy horizontal relationships and this vertical relationship should inform the horizontal relationships. Like Jesus absorbed our offense so we can absorb someone else's offense. When you absorb someone's offense, you are totally in the right and they're totally in the wrong and you absorb the offense. You've never been more like Jesus when you do that. Some of us need to just be more like Jesus. Some of us just need to absorb the offense. And so Paul said in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God would bless them. That's absorbing the offense. So settle your disagreements. Commit to being a peacemaker. Put yourself in their shoes. Talk to them, not about them. And if everything else fails, be ready to absorb the offense because that's what Jesus did for us. I want to pray for those relationships now. I want to pray for our Thanksgiving dinners and we're going to pray that God would do what only he can do through us. Let's do that. Lord, I pray for every couple, for every family, for every young person, for every old person in this room, God. I pray for all of us, Lord, as we're coming into Thanksgiving and even beyond that into Christmas and then even beyond that into the new year and the everyday. Relationships can be hard. But God, you made a relationship with you possible for us because you sent Jesus to the cross to absorb our offense 
We sinned, he didn't, but he paid for it. And God, I pray that you would give us the ability to absorb the offense, the wrongs, Lord, that people commit against us. God, for the sake of peace, for the sake of settling disagreements, God, that you would set us free to release people. And God, that you would just begin to do what only you can do in those relationships. And so we pray for everyone who is anxious today because of people. Lord God, I pray that you would free them from that anxiety in Jesus' name. Amen.